Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Thirty-eighth edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm the professor, Matt Perkins, and a seat right across the Harpers River from me here in the Music City. It's our own offensive coordinator, the coach Corey Burton. Now we're getting aggressive with our play calls, Matt. I like it. Let's go. Uh, let's go finish this game off, uh, Coach. Uh, after your team gets a turnover from the other team. If you don't go play action on the first play, I believe that you should be fired immediately. Gotcha. I mean, quite quite frankly, if if you're not, if it, I see your play action arise you a flea flicker. Oh, I, I I I'm here for that. In, in many ways, the the flea flicker is a play action. Uh, and the <laughs> voice you heard is the third amigo in the second city, a man who appreciates the musical stylings of Sam Spence. It's our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. I thought you were going to say Is it violating NFL Films copyright on that song if I'm humming it all through the show? More than likely, but I don't think NFL Films, unfortunately, is listening to this podcast. If you are, hit us up and we can do a collab. NFL Films is busy compiling... The 15 greatest sacks of the 1989 season. I'm sure they already have that, unfortunately. Um, they have a lot of time on their hands. Why there. is that unfortunate? Like, I would watch that. I mean, Most of them would be Lawrence Taylor. 89, no. He he, he had uh, already gone through all of the cocaine in New York at that point. So um, I, I think he was. I don't think it was possible to run out. Yeah, no. Uh, at, at that point, it, it's Bruce Smith. And it's Reggie White and uh, a little early Derek Thomas. So, um, well, for all of you friends of the show, Derek you... Thomas, RIP. Yeah. It was one of the saddest days. I know. One of the, gosh, one, one, one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, one of the few Alabama players I've ever liked. So, hmm. um, uh, so for those of you who've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that we are brought to you by betonline.ag. The football season is in full swing, and while you may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. So head on over to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sports book experts let's hop right into our preview for week 13 and we're actually going to start down in the big 12 uh we've got a matchup between iowa state and texas josh uh and this if iowa state wins it they are going to be headed to the big 12 title game so do you think they'll be able to slow down sam ellinger and the rest of that longhorn attack i think they can and for the record i just looked lawrence taylor at 15 sacks in 1989 yeah but um here's the thing with texas is they are wildly inconsistent and yeah they're five and two but when you break it down let's ignore the utep game that one is the blowout in conference 
They give up 56 points to an awful Texas Tech team. They lose to an underwhelming TCU team. They give up 53 points in a losing effort to Oklahoma. They beat Baylor, but it was by 11 points. And if you haven't been paying attention, Baylor is all sorts of awful. Baylor's 1-5 on the year. Then they barely beat Oklahoma State by 7 points. Gave up 34 in that game. Okie State just got obliterated by the Sooners. Okie State's panning out to not be as good as we thought they were a month ago. And then they put in, finally, a defensive gem. They hold West Virginia to 13 points, and you're thinking, okay, here we go, except they only generated 17 points in that game. They do not look like the 17th best team in the country. Uh, Sam Ellinger is really good. But he's also their leading rusher, and their defense has been wildly inconsistent. Iowa State is the more sure thing. Uh, Yes, they lost to that Oklahoma State team, but it was a nail-biter, and Iowa State played really well through vast stretches of that game. Iowa State beat Oklahoma. Iowa State beat TCU. Iowa State performed a whole lot better against Texas Tech than the Longhorns did. Iowa State obliterated Kansas. Obviously, Iowa State's game was uh, postponed. Uh, Iowa State's coming off an annihilation of Kansas State. And Iowa State should have as much hunger as they've ever had to put in a flawless performance. They win. They're in the conference title game. I like it when teams have these clinching games. I think they will be ready to roll. Uh, Brock Purdy is playing some really good football, and Iowa State is much more balanced. I mentioned that Brock, that uh, Sam Ellinger is the leading rusher for Texas. Iowa State is having a phenomenal year with some balance. Um, here's some great numbers for you. Brock Purdy, 1,700 passing yards. His mate in the backfield, Brees Hall, 1,100 rushing yards. They're already with a thousand yard back passing games coming along running game has been good. And we've been talking about the cyclone defense now for years. It's consistently good, which basically by default makes it the best defense of the big 12. Yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, Coach, how are you feeling about this game? Well, I'm feeling really good about Josh's analysis of this game. He freaking hit a home run on that one. Um, you know, I, I think Brock Purdy's going to have a big day. I think you're going to see both quarterbacks have have pretty big days, uh, relatively speaking. I think um, one of the things that Iowa State's defense is going to do a really good job of is making sure that Sam Elling- Ellinger has to have a big day in order to beat him. I, I think they're going to make Texas one-dimensional. Iowa State plays, you know, they can. They have a side to them where uh, it's almost like a Jekyll and Hyde type situation where they're really good most of the time, and then occasionally they have those stinkers, uh, like like they did against the Raging Cajuns, and, and they have in other games as as well in in the past. They didn't last week um, against Kansas State, so you you got to figure out which Iowa State team you want to show up, which uh, you know the the one that's flies around physical makes big plays or, or or the one that plays a little scared, uh, gives up chunk plays, uh, can't get anything going on offense and has special teams gas and, and turnover problems. So 
Um, if Iowa State can just do their job, that simply put, just do your job, take care of the ball, take care of the field position, take care of the clock, and you'll be just fine. And Tessator will be crying in the corner. <laughs> you know, here's here's why Iowa State fans though are are nervous and why they're not going to believe that they're huge over the, the huge implications. Hump. I'd be yeah. nervous too. Well, not only that, but you know, Campbell's got Iowa State really better than probably he surpassed the heights that Dan McCarney brought them, which was consistently making bowl games. But uh, Iowa State is a, I guess the nicest way to put it is they are a bridesmaid program. They're under 500 for their school history. They have two conference titles way, way, way back in like the 19 aughts and teens. Um, They are almost 400 wins fewer all time than Texas. And this is a rare position for them. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's like curse of the Billy Goat with the Cubs, the curse of the Bambino for the Red Sox. Until Iowa State breaks through and gets over the hump, there's always going to be some doubt with the fan base. And that doubt sometimes trickles down to the players and the coaches, even though, you know, Matt Campbell hasn't been there for the entire school's history. Uh, The players obviously haven't been there, but there's still some of that doubt. And I mean, uh, I've said it before, I'm ambivalent towards Iowa State most of the time. Obviously, I root against them against Iowa. But uh, you can bet your ass I'm going to be pulling for them so hard in this game. Let's see Iowa State in the title game, and let's see them get another rematch with Oklahoma. They beat them earlier this year. That's the matchup I think most people want to see. Who wants to see Texas-Oklahoma again? We've already seen that one once. One team's really good. The other team's not. I agree with you 1,000%. Yeah, well, then uh, on the heels of that, I want to actually stay in the Big 12 and talk about Oklahoma and West Virginia. Oklahoma is uh, back up and running after a two-game slip earlier in the season. They've won five in a row uh, and been putting up a lot of big numbers, including last week against Oklahoma State, where they won 41 to 13 this week they have to head to West Virginia and West Virginia is a completely different team at home than on the road at home it's the atmosphere they're five and0 at home and zero and three on the, <laughs> the road. elevation let me say the that again scent of couches burning they are five and0 at home and zero and three on the road now yep Part of that is because at home they played Kansas in Eastern Kentucky. They're about to be five and one at home. You think? So? <laughs> okay, so that's what I was going to ask. So, Coach, are they going to get their first home loss of the year, and why? Why? Um, yeah. I mean, have you been watching Oklahoma? They've been they've been red freaking hot. I mean, I know they're I know West Virginia is really good at home, um, but they haven't played a team that's that has come in as hot as Oklahoma. I mean, they've they found their identity. They figured some things out. They've gotten Spencer Rattler settled down for the most part, and, and he's playing some really good football right now. So 
Uh, they got a run game. They, they've got some tricks up their sleeve. They, you know, they, they always they always smoke and mirror you a little bit. Um, offensively, that's kind of what they do. Um, they found a way to be able to do that with with Rattler at at the helm. So um, they got their groove, man, uh, and, and that's kind of that's kind of where they're at. And so, I mean, it you know, I I could go and, and do a huge deep dive into all these statistics, but for the most part, just watch and play, and and they're executing at a really really high level, and I I trust that they can keep that going this week against West Virginia. I'm with Coach, but I, I will say this for West Virginia because we haven't really talked about them much, if at all, this year. They're 5-3. and three. They've matched their win total from a year ago. Uh, Neil Brown, hell West of Virginia's a coach. getting better. They're, they're, yeah. they're playing well, too. They're just not yeah. quite ready for, for a game like this. I mean, he had a 31-8 and eight run at Troy before taking the West Virginia job. The Mountaineers were awful last year. They didn't have an identity. This year, their offense is okay, but they've really made some strides defensively. And I think they're starting to do a little bit of the Iowa State mode, which is we're probably never going to get the offensive superstars that Oklahoma gets. And we're obviously not going to out-recruit Texas. So let's be really physical. Let's chip their blue-chip wide receivers at the line and bump them off their route. Let's play good, fundamental, sound team defense. And it's showing. I mean, in that losing effort against Texas, West Virginia held them to 17 points, held Kansas State to 10, held Baylor to 21, I mean, they're putting in some good defensive performances. Uh, it's not going to be enough against Oklahoma, barring a crazy turnover day like we saw with Wisconsin and Northwestern. Um, but I'm thoroughly impressed by how much better West Virginia has looked this year than last year. And they are a team that maybe they're not too far off. Maybe 2021 will be a breakthrough season. We'll see. I guess we will see. Um, let's head then over to the ACC. And we have a really interesting game here with Notre Dame in North Carolina. Notre Dame is obviously undefeated, number two or three in the polls, depending on which poll you are looking at. And their toughest test for the rest of the year before the ACC title game is definitely this tilt here with at North Carolina. Coach, what can North Carolina do to take down the undefeated Fighting Irish? Find a way to disrupt Ian Book, first of all. Um, you know, find a way to limit his big plays, find a way to make him uncomfortable, get heat on him, hit him, get him off his spot, hurry his throws and, and force him into uh some some bad decisions and bad throws. Cause he he's he he can he's capable of that. Uh, you know, Boston College did a good job at times, probably didn't do it frequently enough and consistently enough. Um, but there was t- there was moments in that game against Boston College where Ian Book was was disrupted and off rhythm, and and Boston College it gave them a glimmer of hope. Uh, what Clemson did at times as well to keep them in the ball game is uh, you know they they got him off his spot, they got him scrambling, 
uh, and contained him for the most part. Didn't let him, you know, didn't let him make a big play. So you just got to force Ian Book. You got to you got to test his patience. You got to test his sturdiness, and and, and you just got to really get after him. Um, and you're going to just have to get aggressive, and you're going to have to understand that, you know, they are averaging 37 points a game and 462 yards per game. You got to understand that, you know, you're going to get some points scored. You know they're gonna they're gonna get some on you. They're they're gonna they're gonna uh, move the ball on you. They're going to put the ball in the end zone uh, a few times. You just gotta make them work for it. Limit some things. Put pressure on Ian Book. Knock him down a few times. Get in his face. Disrupt his throws. Uh, and, and and just get kind of funky with with what you're doing. And then hope that Sam Howell is is going to have a phenomenal game. You know, do what Sam Howell does, which he's he's trying to become a um, you know, a viable piece in the NFL draft at some point. So he's got to, you know, he's got to prove that. Josh, uh what do you think is going to be the biggest key to, for North Carolina to do in order to take down Notre Dame? Well, I'm with coach. I I'm convinced North Carolina can score on anybody and think that uh, Sam Howell is, you know, amazing. <laughs> Just look at his numbers. He's uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the conference. Uh, by the end of his career, he's still young, I believe a true sophomore. By the end of his career, he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I mean, who knows? Maybe he's got an invite to New York in his future. We'll, we'll see. What North Carolina needs to absolutely avoid is – their defense giving up absurd runs. Uh, the North Carolina defense is not good, but they can limit the damage by preventing some of those runs and giving their team a shot. In their two losses, Florida State, they got down 24 nothing before ultimately losing 31-28. Against Virginia... North Carolina was actually ahead 20 to 13 end of the first half 14 points start of the second half 14 points 28 unanswered by Virginia to go up 41 20 Tar Heels almost rallied all the way back they ultimately lost 44 41 you know if the defense plays that poorly I don't think North Carolina can even score enough points but if that defense is competent, if they find ways to give up field goals instead of touchdowns, if they find a way to snag a turnover or two, uh, the Tar Heels will be in this game because that offense is really special and it's all because of the skill position set they have centered around a truly special quarterback. And um, Mac Brown is also proving a lot of us wrong with his second stint here at North Carolina. It is shocking how competent they have been this, you know, in the, during this entire, you know, first two seasons under Mac Brown. You know, Vet it's veteran well, coaching. Well, a veteran is. coach, but it's also, you know, <laughs> North Carolina ended so poorly with Larry Fedora that, you know, he doesn't have the pressure that he had on Texas. In Texas, you go nine and three, they're calling for your head. And you go nine and three with five-star recruits at every position, uh, you are going to get fired. 
well, North Carolina, they're playing a fun brand of football. They're winning more than they're losing. They're going to go to a second straight bowl game. I mean, North Carolina cares about basketball. Football success is just icing on the cake. And Mac Brown right now is smearing some icing on a pretty tasty cake. Hmm. All right, let's head then down to the SEC where we get one of the biggest matchups of every single season, and that is the Iron Bowl. And coach, I mean, you're our SEC guru. Is there anything Auburn can do to slow down the freight train that is the Crimson Tide? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of ways that you possibly could. I just don't think they have uh, anybody to do it. I mean, I, I guess you're just gonna have to, you're gonna have to win in a shootout. Uh, you, you're just gonna have to score with them, you know, and it if uh, and take advantage of basically turning this into what Ole Miss and Alabama game was. Uh, and, and I mean, they certainly have the capability of doing so, and, and they've done so in the past. Uh, and, and they typically um, play Alabama better than they play any other team on their schedule because that's their freaking Super Bowl. But, um, you know, just, uh, you know, they're fortunate that Jalen Waddle's not in this game. Um, so, you, I mean, you've got to limit the damage that Devontae Smith could do to you. Um do the best you can to try to rattle Mac Jones. I know that's easier said than done, but um, you gotta you gotta get hits on him, which they've they've been able to do in, in the past with with Alabama quarterbacks. Uh, you, you you've gotta you know you've gotta mix up some coverages. Uh, you you've gotta put yourself in situations to where you're not allowing these guys to uh, to to run deep on you. Now, what what Sarkeesian does a great job of at Alabama is putting guys in conflict, putting defenders in conflict always. Third-level defenders, second-level defenders, first-level defenders. It doesn't matter who it is. He's going to put someone in conflict on every play, and he does a tremendous job of that. So, you know, Auburn's just going to have to to win one-on-one battles. They're going to have to tackle in space. They're going to have to make plays on special teams, and and Bo Nix is going to have to have the game of his life if they want to win this thing. Uh, He really is going to have to have the game of his life. And speaking of his life, or at least his livelihood, Josh, uh, Gus Malzahn coaching for his for his life here. Boy, you know, uh, if he is, then uh, that bodes well for Auburn, because I think a lot of us had uh, a similar feeling last year. And what did Auburn do? They pulled off the upset 48, 45. Second time beating Alabama in three years for Auburn. Um, it's it's interesting. And, you know, um, I, I'm very curious being such an outsider of these two programs. I, I'm very curious about uh, the approach these two teams take leading into this game. I, I'm wondering if Alabama has the very workmanlike, we're the number one team more often nope. than not coming into the game. Uh, or do they go all out like it's a rivalry? No, it, it, it's a rivalry. They truly hate each other. Yeah. I know they do, but I'm just saying like... No, they, they treat it like a rivalry. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. Right. They, right. I mean, they, they hear, that's all they hear about is Auburn. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, with, with, with Florida every year, all they hear is that damn tomahawk chop. 
<laughs> you know, all Oklahoma here is 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 how the pokes are going to get them. You know, and that that's why that series is so lopsided. Do they? <laughs> they hear it. it I mean, it, it's a bunch of malarkey, and you might have to bleep me out on this one, Matt. But it's a bunch of bullshit. But they hear it nonetheless. I mean, the those Oklahoma State fans aren't quiet. They're not shy. Um, they have no upper hand in this whole argument, but that's not that you know that doesn't get in the way usually. So, you know, they they just they hear the chatter, they get tired of it, and and they go out and you know it, it's very much a bloodbath right. uh, rivalry because they're they're bred from the minute they step foot on campus. It's good to hear. But Auburn's yeah, bad. You know, or Alabama's I, bad. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's good to hear that. Yeah, this, this I but yeah, I, you know, I think look. This is a classic rivalry. Hey, only you, nine, only nine games separate these two teams, and that's even factoring in the fact that since 2008, when Alabama has been on their run, they've won eight times in the 12 years. So, you know, prior to that, the series was even closer. It's a it's a classic rivalry. Auburn's going to be playing for their coach's life, and or presumably we we we've misread this Auburn marriage for so many years now. I mean, he's sitting um, at five and two right now. I, yeah. I think he's I think he's working his way back off the the hot seat. He does this every yeah. year. Yeah, uh, but but they're 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 a team that's red hot right now. So yeah. I mean, they're getting Alabama at the right yeah. time. Yeah. Um. And then you know what. There's been some funky plays in this one. Matt mentioned Bo Nix needed to have the game of his life special teams. I mean, I think I watched the quick kick or quick kick, the kick six uh, <laughs> at least twice a year. Usually, usually in the summer as I'm getting closer to college football and getting more and more excited. Uh, quick kicks, by the way, is what uh, Hayden Fry did in his first two seasons yeah. at Iowa. We've, seen, we've actually so seen Bo Nix do it once or twice as well. So. Well, well, not only were they like the quick kicks where you sneak it with your quarterback kicking it, but it would be like there were times in Hayden Fry's first two years, Iowa football was so awful in his first two seasons that it would be like third and 15, and he'd be like, fuck, I'm just going to punt it. <laughs> <laughs> bold strategy cotton but um yeah they they have uh there's a lot of big time uh plays that are defined uh by by a title like punt bama punt uh yeah. bow over the top you have uh kick six you know those are three that come to mind um where it's singular plays that that change the course of the game uh typically in auburn's favor because alabama has always been the aggressor in the series Mm. Um, Auburn's always been that little brother, but it, it like I said, it's heated. Uh, Roll Tide War Eagle, ESPN Plus. If you want to check that out, that that'll tell you everything you need to know about that rivalry. All right, um, let's then head to the Big Ten. Uh, Maryland and Indiana should be a very high scoring game over here in the Big Ten East. Josh. We just saw Indiana come off of a tough loss to Ohio State last week. That did not 
uh, slow down Michael Penix, though, who threw for 491 yards and five touchdowns in that one. For Maryland, though, um, after losing to what we now know is a very good Northwestern team in the first week, they've come back with a vengeance, uh, winning their next two games, having two more in a row canceled. But uh, Talia Tagovailoa uh, is showing that you know he is little brother to no one. So do you think we're going to see a lot of points here? Ooh, there's certainly the potential for it. Yeah, I, I think Maryland has acquitted themselves quite well, well offensively, to say the least. But uh, Indiana is just, they showed it with that moral victory, the worst thing a team can have, a moral victory. They showed it with that game against Ohio State that they're the real deal. They're incredibly well coached. They have an absolutely outstanding quarterback. And... We saw the passion that they had following the loss with Tom Allen's speech there in the locker room. For Maryland, yes, they are improved. Well, now they've missed two weeks. So where are they coming in? What roster are they going to have? And I think I made the joke back when they beat Penn State, but Mike Loxley has two wins this year. And I made a joke something like, oh, he's doubled his win total. There's a little bit of hyperbole, but not by much. Mike Loxley is one of the worst coaches in terms of win-loss that's ever gotten a second bite at the apple. And a three-game sample size against a winless Penn State and a pretty bad gopher team uh, does not make me super confident. Indiana looks like the real deal. Yes, there's going to be some points scored, but I think ultimately the Hoosiers triumph. You with them, Coach? Yeah, I'm, I'm with them uh, 100%. I was going to say that, you know, Indiana feels like they have a lot more staying power than Maryland does because I, I think it, it starts at the top, and, and and it just seems as as if, you know, Tom Allen is not only a great coach on the field, X's and O's scheme, things like that. But I mean, he's a master motivator of his guys. He knows the right buttons to press and, you know, he, he knows how to connect to his players and get them to buy in 1000, 1 million percent, not saying Maryland's not bought in, but I, I trust that Tom Allen is more well-rounded and more, and, and more apt to be able to uh, not only, you know, just, get off to a good start and play decent football, but he's building a program, which is, which is completely different than just being a good football team, because that can ebb and flow. That can, that can, that can, that can uh, disappear just as quickly as it, as it appeared. And so uh, for Indiana, yeah, they're off to a great start, but we saw the, the, the proof of their staying power was actually in that Ohio state game where, you know, they, they had a chance to fold up shop and say, okay, we were a flash in the pan, uh, but it's over for us. We're going to go back to being a basketball school. No, they said, they said, forget about that. We're, we're going to, we're going to fight tooth and nail and, and make this thing a ball game. And they did. Um, and I don't believe in moral victories, but that did prove something to the rest of the big 10 saying, okay, well maybe Indiana's for real. So uh, Maryland, they've got a few more things to show me uh, before I, I can, really kind of grant them as being a team that is going to be consistently a threat. Now they're pesky. They can play well. And, and when they're on, they're on, but you know, you, you've seen when they're off too. And uh, Northwestern took advantage of that. So depends on what Maryland team shows up. 
Um, and, and I just don't, don't think I still, I'm not a believer in Mike Loxley. He's still got some things to show me as far as being able to win and win consistently and play at that level that's expected to be able to win consistently. All right, let's head over then to the Pac-12, where we have a battle of unbeatens between Colorado and USC. Colorado had their game with Arizona State canceled last week because... uh, Everyone's having their games with Arizona State canceled. Because the Sun Devils cannot keep it uh, under control. USC is 3-0. and Keaton Slovis has picked up uh, essentially where he left off last season, averaging better than 300 yards per game through the air. Uh, Coach... Any chance that Colorado uh, in this new regime can come in and pull off the upset against SC in Los Angeles? There's always a chance. I mean, Colorado is one of those teams that we haven't really figured them out yet. And they're playing some really good football, and they really haven't found their way. And so I I think that they're a team that's apt to come in. Uh, They've got some playmakers. They've got Jerry Rice's son. Uh, They've got LaVisca Chenault's younger brother. Um, at wide receiver that can make a lot of great plays. Uh, Jack Bruce or Jarek Broussard, I should say. My eyes are starting to cross at this point. Um, is a solid runner. I mean, 300 yards through through two games, three touchdowns. I mean, it, he's providing a threat um, in, in the rushing attack. So they, they're very much uh, experienced, yes. Depth-wise, probably don't have the same depth as USC. But they're starting to gel. Their first unit is just as competitive as anybody else in that conference. And SC plays inconsistent football right now. They, you know, Keaton Slovis is looks like a first round NFL quarterback sometimes, and then sometimes look like he, you know, just woke up and rolled off the JV practice field and and just I I I don't know what he's doing. Um, and they're just up and down, just as a team. And and I, I think that you know that kind of thing is going to bite you at some point. It hasn't so far. They've been fortunate to, you know, ebb at the right time or flow at the right time and, uh, you know, avoid ebbing at the, at the, at the right time or the wrong time or however you want to say that. Uh, But, you know, I think it's one of those things where I think they will win. I think they're better than Colorado depth wise, top to bottom uh, within their two deep, but, if they if they mess around and, and are you know and, and have a bad quarter, Colorado could jump in there and, and very well upset them. Josh, are you enjoying the uh, Carl Durrell Rocky Mountain experience? <laughs> I am. You know the, their offense is showing some nice balance through two weeks. Uh, Coach talked about Jarek already, Mister Broussard. He's having a nice season. And I looked, you know, Arizona. Ran the ball really well against USC in that nail-biter. Uh, Utah ran the ball okay. Uh, a decent average. They probably didn't run the ball as much as they probably should based on what they're averaging per carry. And uh, in USC's other nail-biter, uh, they also uh, gave up some yards to the ground. So I think there's some yards to be had for the Buffs. And it's just going to come down to, does Colorado in any way slow down Slovis? You mentioned him, Matt. 970 yards through three games. He's off to a hot start. But uh, if they get an efficient day from Sam Neuer, the Colorado quarterback, Jarek Broussard, who we keep talking about, uh, this is a sophomore who didn't carry the ball last year. 
So what a what a debut he's had. 308 yards through two games for the Buffs. If he has some yards, you know, if that time of possession starts ticking in favor of Colorado and Slovis, instead of having, oh, let's say 15 series in the game, gets down to closer to 10, maybe even something crazy like he only gets four possessions each half. You're going to have to love that if you're a Colorado fan. And so, yeah, I think there's a chance for an upset. What you're probably worried about if you're if you are a Colorado fan is USC looked super rusty week one against Arizona State. They basically no showed against Arizona and they were able to win that game because Arizona's all sorts of awful. But then against Utah, they looked really crisp at times. And you're just wondering, okay, USC is the motor finally running. Are all the pieces working together? And if it they are rebuilding Colorado's in for a potentially long day. But if the inconsistencies that USC has had through the first three weeks pops up again, and Colorado has that offensive efficiency I alluded to, I think the Buffs have a puncher's chance in this one. Yeah, I, I definitely think that they have a puncher's chance, but it's definitely going to be a tough one for them. Obviously, I'll be rooting for them, though, to uh, take down the Trojans. All right, let's quickly then head finally to our spread formations for the week. Last week, uh, I finished at 3-1. and one. Uh, Both Josh and the coach finished at 2-2. Two and two. After we recorded, Texas and Kansas was canceled because of COVID, so we only got four games in there. Um, so for the season, both Josh and myself are at 27 and 27. Coach is at 22 and 32 on the season. Uh, gents, this week it's my turn to give my picks first. So uh, we will start with, we were going to have the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe here, but uh, as of today when we are recording, that game has been canceled because of COVID. The first time it will not be played since 1906. Uh, crazy. You know, I mentioned it in our text thread. The Big Ten has this weird, when the conference title game is going to be played, they're scheduling all these crossovers. I think it would have been smarter to have that as a, you have the title game, and then everything else is kind of a flex, figure stuff out in the off chance that something like this happens. Or what if, uh, you know... Michigan, Michigan State. What if that had been missed? Or Michigan, Ohio State. Or, you know. Well, I I think Ohio State would rather play for the conference title. True. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, uh, Indiana, Purdue. Yeah. And I mean, um, you know, this gets back to the dilemma where the Big Ten was going to cancel the season. And then they see the ACC and SEC figuring out a way to make it work. They slap something together kind of half-assed, other than the testing protocols being quite stingent. But they had no wiggle room in the schedule, and now we get this. Um, I guess the silver lining is I knew it was the most played rivalry. I didn't know it was at that number. And, you know... The there's plenty of games that are not yearly rivalries that are just as special. And 
let's be fair. <laughs> Do we know the 1989 score? No. Do we know who won? I'm, I'm assuming it's Minnesota because Wisconsin was <laughs> god awful at that point. Do we know who won the 1950s? Minnesota. Yeah. But what was the record? Uh, you know, probably like nine and one because that was at the yeah. end of uh, <laughs> Minnesota's dominance. Do we know? You know how uh, Tim Brewster fared in the series? Like not well. Yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff that slips through the cracks. It's disappointing, but I think in the long run, it's okay. Yeah, you know, it, one season it is what it is. But we replace it though for our picks with the Egg Bowl. So uh, for this, Mississippi State will be playing at Ole Miss, who are favored by nine and a half at home. I think Elijah Moore is potentially the best receiver in all of college football this season, at least statistically. So I think he runs rough shot through the Bulldogs and Ole Miss covers. Josh, what say you? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I think I would take the over in this game yeah. because – uh, the over is from one source I'm seeing 67 and a half. Ole Miss can score a whole bunch of points, but then Ole Miss is averse to playing defense. And uh, the Bulldogs showed a little bit of flash a week ago against Georgia. Um, but I'm with you, Matt. I think Ole Miss is um, a, feels like about a season ahead of Mississippi State in terms of where their rebuilds are. And I think that the Rebs can put up points so quickly that it's just going to be hard for Mississippi State to really eat into the lead that they build up. And so I've got them winning by at least 10 points, which covers the spread. You know, I I think that when DJ Durkin was reading his job description and it said (laughs) film study, I think he thought it meant he was supposed to study movies and, um, you know, uh, African uh, predator uh, documentaries like cheetahs and lions and things like that. And and, uh, and I think he's been showing those to his players instead of actually learning the opposing offenses. So I think Coach Kiffin needs to get in there and kind of re-describe that job description maybe or just fire him, I guess. Um, and hire Will Muschamp. <laughs> but um, as far as the game goes, yes, take the over. If if uh, if, if you don't want to take the take the line, if you don't want to take Ole Miss at, at what is it minus nine and a half, um, then uh, just take the over and, and be happy with that because this game's going to go over because it typically always does. And I like Ole Miss in this game because I think they have way more firepower on offense than Mike Leach does. Even though Will Rogers, I'm starting to become a big believer in uh, in, in Will Rogers as quarterback of Mississippi State. I just don't think they have enough in the tank. I don't think they have enough in the tank offensively. I don't think they have enough in the tank defensively. I think they're just going to wear out in this game, and, and Ole Miss is going to just overwhelm them. So give me the reps. All right, let's take in the SEC for The us. thing I find most impressive about Will Rogers is he's a freshman, and he's an old freshman. He was born in 1879. Huh? He's not a carpetbagger, is he? <laughs> no. Good. No, but he, he is familiar with the gold rush. Nice. <laughs> So uh, let's then head over to, well, we're going to stick in the SEC, I should say, for our second uh, spread formation here. 
Coaches' dogs are 21.5-point favorites, according to our friends over at Bet Online. when they head up to Columbia, South Carolina, to take on the Gamecocks. UGA is going to win this one, but I don't know if they can really beat anyone by 22 points at this point. So I'm going to take South Carolina plus 21.5 on this one. UGA is going to win by about 17, but I don't know if they're going to win by 22. So, Josh, how do you feel? You know, I was I was in your camp, Matt, and then I looked at South Carolina since the writing was on the wall for Will Muschamp and this four-game skid. They lost by almost 30 points to LSU. They lost by 45 to Texas A&M. They lost by 17 to Mississippi. You fire your coach. You get kind of the fired coach is gone. All that stress is gone. The bump, we've seen this happen with other teams before where they come out, play a little bit better. They only generated 10 points against a pretty poor, maybe mediocre, I don't know how to describe Missouri. They only generated 10 points in that one. I think Georgia now with J.D. Daniels has their quarterback. I expect them to have a lot better day rushing the ball than they did a week ago. And I'm going to say the dogs actually do cover this spread. All right, coach. I've been burnt so many times by the dogs covering heat <laughs> <too>. spreads. <laughs> um, the homer in me wants to say, "Go dogs! They're gonna, they're gonna win. They're gonna cover. They're gonna win by forty-five points." But that's what that I said just, for the Kentucky game. <laughs> that ain't happening. Uh, they don't have the capability to score forty-five points even on air. Uh, I'm gonna take <laughs> the points here. Uh, I think Georgia's gonna win. Um, at best by 17 points and, and just call it a day, especially since Kirby and Bobo are friends. I don't think he's going to run it up on him. Um, I think they're going to do just enough to get a comfortable uh, 17 to 20 point, 21 point win, which would not cover the spread. So if you are looking to bet a parlay, um, run like Tyreek Hill away from this game. Do not touch it at all with a 10 foot pole. But if you have to, take South Carolina. Georgia wins 38 to 20. Um, next, we will go to Iowa City, Iowa, where the Hawkeyes are hosting the one and three Nebraska Cornhuskers. Iowa is a 13 and a half point favorite. And quite frankly, Iowa recently can't be stopped. And Nebraska is a dumpster fire's dumpster fire, um, <laughs> second to only Penn State in that conference for just being an absolute uh, down-in-the-dumps program right now. So I'm going to take the Hawkeyes minus 13.5. Josh, how do you feel? This game's been super close the last few years, so I'm not going to lie. The the spread caught my eye that it felt a little high. But when you look at the the, – Nebraska Cornhuskers, and you see, mm, boy, their passing is terrible this season. They have no passing attack. Uh, Luke McCaffrey and Adrian McCaffrey are a combined 61% completion percentage. They are a combined two touchdowns to to six interceptions. They've also been sacked eight times, which is a little alarming since both of them are supposed to be dual threat quarterbacks and are designed to get out of trouble. So that's a little bit of a concern. Uh, Their defense is coming off an absolute shellacking by Illinois. 
That's a little bit of a concern. Their rush defense is giving up 200 yards a game. That is a major concern. Oh, wait, I might have had that wrong stat. Sorry, it was on the uh, uh, offensive stats. Uh, let me see the Nebraska defense. Matt, we'll just have to edit this out. It's all good. It's all Thanks. good because, drum roll, please, the Nebraska defense is giving up not 200 yards a game. They're giving up 226 yards per game. It's worse. <laughs> Um, but long story short, Nebraska's just, um, I'm worried as a just, you know, curiosity with Nebraska. I think the message boards are not kind to Scott Frost. They're checked out on him. I think the players might be checked out on him. Uh, he gives quotes that are basically blaming the players for all the issues uh, he seems to be a man with no answers right now, and they seem to be spiraling. Um, on the other hand, Iowa is still mathematically alive for winning the West. They are playing really good football. Their defense is absolutely insane. They have interception streak on the line. They should get one based on how careless Nebraska is with the ball. They, uh, at one point, were leading the nation in interceptions. I think they might still be. Um, they're really clicking on all cylinders. And unless we get a Brian Ferentz oopsie, I didn't have a very good game plan game, I was clearly way better. I am very, very hesitantly knocking on wood and saying that Iowa covers. Coach. I I agree with Josh on this. I mean, you know, I watching Nebraska puts me to sleep. I mean, <laughs> honestly, uh, it, this this might be the if it's not already, this might be the beginning of the end for Scott Frost. I mean, they are absolutely pathetic, and so I think Iowa, if Iowa fans want something fun, they can be the final nail in the Scott Frost at Nebraska coffin. If they if Ooh, they I, if they put a fifty wanna, piece on, I don't want them to get fired if this is their performance. <laughs> so it's you like, don't have to it's worry like about that. It's like keeping Brady Hoke at Michigan. Let's beat them, but not beat them by too much. Well, that that's the good thing about Iowa. They they can beat them, but, but uh, you know, very rarely is Brian Ferentz going to put a fifty burger on the on the board. So give me the Hawkeyes uh, minus thirteen and a half. I think they win by three touchdowns. Nebraska's awful. All right. Well, uh, let's stick there in the uh, in, in the Midwestern portion or the Great Plains of the United States, I should say. Uh, oh, we're not doing the Illibuck? We're not doing the Illibuck. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> what we are doing is TCU minus 24 and a half at Kansas. Kansas is just pathetic. Uh, TCU has a really nice freshman in Zachary Evans at tailback. Uh, I'll get T- I'll take TCU minus 24 and a half here. Josh, what do you like? Well, here's the question. Can TCU score 24 points? Uh, Because the last time we saw them, they were held to six against West Virginia. But then you realize, oh, it's it's Kansas. Even Baylor roughed up Kansas. Give me the Horn Frogs. Yeah, until Kansas can prove they can cover one of these ridiculous spreads, give me the give me the Horn Frogs. 
It, what's the clock on Lost Miles? Uh, it gets shorter every time he eats a blade of grass. When they <laughs> uh, when they fire the AD, uh, that's when the clock runs out on on less. Otherwise, Miles is a made man. Well, Kansas not even the biggest underdog on the weekend. We've got two bigger ones that I want to get to first. The first uh, first of these is uh, University of Louisiana. The Raging Cajuns are twenty eight and a half point favorites at UL Monroe. You guys know how much I love Billy Napier, the uh, the University of Louisiana head coach. I'm going to take them to cover this four plus touchdown spread. Josh, how do you feel? I mean, that's a number for a conference game. It's also a number for presumably a rivalry between these two teams. But Louisiana is 7-1. and one. They've been ranked at moments this year. And UL Monroe is 0-8. And, and it's been a really ugly 0-8. They lost by 21 to a pretty poor Texas State team. They lost by 25 to a pretty poor UTEP team. Liberty obliterated them. Mediocre South Alabama obliterated them. Uh, Georgia State who is dead last in their division, put 50 on UL Monroe. They are, they're just epically bad this year. They might be the worst team in the entire conference, or excuse me, the entire country. And that is including Kansas, who we just talked about. So I will take the Raging Cajun as well. Yeah, Billy Napier is trying to get himself an SEC job. uh, And the score will reflect that. Give me the Raging Cajuns. All right, finally, we're going to wrap up with the biggest line I could find this week, and that involves uh, two teams coming off of losses, UMass and Liberty. Liberty is a 37.5-point favorite at home here against the absolutely hapless Minutemen, and I can't believe I'm doing this, but I am taking the Flames here, minus 37.5, because I don't know if UMass can even matriculate the ball down the field against air, Josh. Well, UMass scored two points last game. Those were um, their second best offensive performance of the season. (laughs) What the hell is going on? Their games this year and their three games, they've scored zero points, 10 points, and two points. Uh, That tells the the story of this team. Uh, Yeah, I mean... Liberty is going to be playing pretty pissed off that they slipped up against uh, NC State. They had their chances in that game. They are going to be dialed in. And UMass is, uh, you know, quite frankly, UMass should have pulled a Connecticut and just not played this year. They are th- slapping together a independent schedule. This is their final game of the year in terms of the schedule, unless they randomly pull another one out. And I just, I don't understand what the players and staff got out of this season other than a lot of miles because all of their games have been road trips and a lot of embarrassment. And uh, I don't know if it was the coaches putting pressure on the school. I don't know if it was the AD putting pressure. I don't know where it came from, but this was absolutely ridiculously stupid for Massachusetts to play a football season this year. 
Ditto. Um, you know, I, I think UMass, I don't know who's more pathetic, UMass or UConn. Uh, they're both really uh, piss poor, pathetic programs. At, at uh, least UConn's not embarrassing themselves. That is true. They're, so, they're staying at home. So I, so I guess the, the edge has got to go to UConn in that scenario. <laughs> um, and, and I guess if you want to determine the strength of the program, I guess you got to guess you got to figure out is uh, Amherst better to recruit to than uh, Stores, Connecticut. Uh, I, I don't know you, uh, Matt. You could probably uh, shed some light on that, but. Um, needless to say, Liberty's going to be pissed off. Needless to say, Liberty is a million times more talented than UMass, uh, even though they're on the same plane as far as group of five. So I think it's going to be – I think you're going to see this score, and you're going to be like, whoa. And that's going to be in favor of the uh, whatever Liberty's mascot is. Team freezes. How about that? <laughs> I said, how about team freezes there, Matt? I think Matt fell asleep on us. <laughs> Matt uh, muted himself and uh, is unable to come back. So, uh, so Matt's insight was this. Yes. <laughs> did you hear? Did you hear that riveting uh, insight? <laughs> I mean, he said about this, about this game, about UMass. He said, "Yeah." And then, well, and then he followed that with saying, "Well, we're joking, but for all we know, Matt really just—he could have been kidnapped by a random drug cartel." He could have it's been. really scary. Something just dangerous could have happened. Or uh, Cooper and Charlie just overwhelmed him and, and took him outside, kidnapped <laughs> him, and said, "Hey, you will give us treats and you will walk us all the time." <laughs> That's probably what happened. They're like licking him to death. He's being death by uh, getting licked by the dogs. How about that? So, well, Josh. That's going to about do it for us here on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Remember, we're brought to you by betonline.ag. You can find us on on uh, on Twitter, and, and uh, you can find me on Instagram, um, at I went mute on Zoom on Twitter, uh, at the same thing on uh, Instagram. Well, it, you know I like to slip a random game under the radar on you. Do it. Hit me with it. Yeah. How about this? 3 p.m. out in the Smurf turf. You have 4-1 Boise State. Their lone loss to that really good BYU team, but didn't impact their Mountain West race. Taking on the surprising 4-0 San Jose State Spartans. Uh, I did not anticipate San Jose State to be 4-0. I don't year. think San Jose State anticipated that they were going to go 4-0. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious the last time San Jose State had a 4-0 start. Maybe Jeff Garcia? Probably. Oh. I didn't even know he played there. Shows, well, you, how, shows you how little I know about that program, right? 
Well, someone clearly was not uh, raised a Packers fan when uh, <laughs> when Jeff Garcia's 49er team was taking them on in playoffs every year. I thought he just popped out of nowhere. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I was like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, go Falcons. Can we have back-to-back winning seasons? That's what I was concerned uh, with. Jeff Garcia graduated uh, San Jose State in 94, went undrafted, played up in Canada for four years at the Calgary Stampede, and then he was with the Niners for four years. And then one year stints with the Browns, Lions, Eagles. And Buccaneers, right? Well, then a two-year stint with the Bucks. A practice squad member for the Raiders before returning to the Eagles. Then he was with the Omaha Nighthawks. Oh, wow. And then uh, went back to the NFL with the Houston Texans in 2011. And there he was you go. a uh, quarterback coach for the Montreal Alouettes, followed by an offensive assistant, the St. Louis Rams, in 2014 and 2015, and has been, I think, a commentator somewhere since then. He's yeah, he's commentating somewhere. He made a uh, he made a really bad comment on Cam Newton the other uh, the the last time we heard about him. Oh yeah, he was like complaining about how Cam Newton was dressed. Yeah. Which yeah. I, it's valid, I guess, because he dresses like a he dresses like a, a middle aged middle aged woman <laughs> that has a has a mind of a six year old, and you know how six year old girls like to dress in costumes, right? <laughs> so there you go. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that not that that diminishes his style of play. It's just odd to me, but. That's just me. That's just me. So yeah, well, you know, no, no, no judgment because I'm sure, you know, my style could be a lot better. But then again, um, I, I I look at some of the stuff he shows up to games in, and I'm like, what the hell are you wearing? <laughs> so yeah, but uh, I mean, like it, it's pretty rich for Jeff Garcia to be, yeah, uh, commenting on. You know what Cam Newton chooses to wear before or after a football game. I mean, yeah, who cares? But if you if if you want to bring up the topic, I'll say, yeah, it's it's kind of weird, but whatever, whatever floats his boat. To each his own with provolone. When so. we were early on, early in quarantine, way back when the simple days of March, uh. That was one of the things that caught my eye with the last dance was I forgot how like uh, Michael Jordan was such a like fashionista back in the day. Yeah, I was like, whoa. I sort of kind of naively thought that was more of like a uh, Westbrook KD type thing from when they were together in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I remember that. I think did Russell Westbrook wear glasses with no frames in them? Yep. Or no lenses. <laughs> yep. And he taped up the, the, the nose bridge, too. I was like, what the hell? What are you... It's like, what, what, like, like LeBron wears the, the suit with the shorts. The dress shorts. Um, the, the male romper. Yeah. 
like shit like that. It, it's crazy. So, you you know what I weirdly loved. <laughs> speaking about fashion, uh, I weirdly loved how Mike Nolan wore suits. It, <laughs> coaching, I was like, yes, we need to get back to the good old days where you had Lambo and like Hank Stram and those guys wearing suits and ties coaching NFL games. I was like, none of enough of this Bill Belichick cutting the sleeves off. Put. I want to see Bill Belichick in a three-piece suit coaching a football game. <laughs> three-piece suit with a fedora? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that would be awesome. He'd be so uncomfortable. I think he's uncomfortable already. Bill Belichick does not seem like the type of person who's comfortable in really any city. No. But I think he plays some of that up, too. That's pretty funny. Probably. So. Um, I don't know if Matt's coming back. So I know I, I'm gonna text him real quick. I'm still recording, so our stuff's good. Yeah, and so long, and see you later, and see you next time <laughs> on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.